Well, John chapter 6, uh, as we continue to work our, our way through it, there's a, a, just a beautiful blend as the Apostle John is bringing uh, three texts together, and that's kind of where my dilemma was this week, as we're going to be looking at verse 30. You have the, the New Testament text, you have them looking back into Deuteronomy chapter 18, and then of course, and I love the Old Testament, going back to Exodus 19, where they're standing at Mount Sinai. Right? And, and they're trembling in fear as, as God is displaying himself there. But as we step into our study this morning, the words of Jesus uh, that we were looking at last week, uh, verse 29, really have repeatedly come to my mind. They've, they've come through conversations, um, prayer times as people have stopped in. That the words, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Right? And if you've spent any time meditating on that, that, that is what grounds your faith. When all of a sudden there is you're reading and you're asking God to, to, to show you a little, little bit more of, of, of who Jesus the Son of God is, and that's what John is doing here, I mean, well, that is what saving faith is built on. John chapter 20, verse 31, the theme verse. Right? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That, that, that believing that Jesus is the Son of God is that saving faith that is promised. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God is what steadfast faith is built on. Right? That is, that is what, what leads you to that place of saying, no matter what's going on in my life, right? no matter what, what suffering, no matter what crisis, no matter what uncertainty, I know that my faith is built on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the faith that is, is steadfast. That is the faith that is lasting. You can't walk away from that faith. You can't walk away. Once your eyes have been opened to truly who the Son of God is and, and, and the Spirit is moving in your heart, you cannot walk away from that. But here in John chapter 6, as we looked at last week, we have a group. And I'm going to say they're lost. They're confused. We see in verse 28, they're looking for what, what they could do to, to earn this everlasting life. What they could do to earn a relationship with God. What, what may we do that we may work the works of God? When you pause and think about that, Jesus' response should settle our hearts. Know this this morning, that there is nothing that you can do to save your soul. What are Jesus' words? This is the work of God. Believe in Him. Jesus is the Son of God, whom He sent. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Know this this morning. There is nothing you can do on your own to step into the kingdom. Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Doing then could not spiritually save you. Doing now cannot spiritually save you. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. As you read through this discourse, this teaching, you must believe that, that God sent Him. He is sent from heaven. He has is, he is come with God's message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, John chapter 3, do not marvel at this. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It's another verse that comes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
There's no doing, right? And when we understand that, that that should settle our faith. This morning as we look at verses 30 and 31, this is the people's response to Jesus' command, believe. Verse 30 says, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? After Jesus clearly laying out what it is that God is requiring of them, they, they respond with two questions and a suggestion. I thought to myself this week, <laughs> why? Right? And Jeremy, I, I, I'm always writing questions down and trying to answer it. It's part of how God's made me, and, and it leads, leads me to, I think, a little bit deeper um, looking for answers. But, but why? Why would this group after a, a year and a half, because we're about halfway through Jesus' three and a half years of earthly ministry, right? why after a year and a half of watching Jesus do good things, watching Jesus do miracles, watching Jesus heal their own sick, their own sons and daughters, the Bible says that the multitudes brought the sick and disease before Jesus, why after seeing all the, 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 the demons being cast out and the, the signs and wonders, why after all this did they need more proof? And the answer is, is very simple. As they're asking for a sign for Him to perform, the answer is simple. These people were looking for earthly things. They were looking for earthly things that perish, missing their spiritual need. Satan had them in worldly bondage. Satan had them in worldly bondage. And this really is the story as we look around. There's lots of need, there's lots of disease, there's lots of sickness. But people are looking for earthly, fleshly things. Here before them, God, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was working in the most obvious the most blatant, the most evident ways, calling out to these needy souls, these, these needed souls that, that, that needed to repent, to come to Himself. But they could not see their need for spiritual deliverance. What was it going to take? What was it going to take as you see them? Hey, what may we do? And Jesus is like, no, believe. Well, what sign will you perform? What would it take? What is it going to take before their eyes would be open to them seeing their need for Jesus standing in front of them? Tribulation? That's a, that's a hard thing. What was it going to take for them to open their eyes to see their need for Jesus? A tribulation? Find themselves face to face with something that they have no control over? Would they turn to Jesus then? Would they, would they stop asking for what sign will you perform that we may see and believe it? Would they believe then? Tribulation? What about fear? Right? Would they have to come to that place where they're trembling with, with nothing left? And we'll look at this just briefly in our study there of the, the people of Israel coming before Mount Sinai and God displaying Himself saying, there, I am God. Would they turn then? I think of John chapter 6. God is showing them the easy way to have a relationship with Him. The easy way. What would it take 
And we know Israel's history. <laughs> and they chose the hard way. They chose the hard, hard road. So let's just pay attention to a little bit of a context as we look at verses 30 and 31 this, this morning. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work shall you do? What was this group asking? What were, they, what were they asking Jesus to prove? What were they asking him to show them so that they would believe? Well, there were three things. Three things that Jesus says in verse 27. Follow with me. Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. There's three things that Jesus is explaining, teaching, showing these, these men that are standing in the synagogue. Number one, number one, he's showing them that he has come with God's promise. Right? Where it says there, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is explaining to them that, that he has brought God's promise, God's promise of everlasting life. And this group is saying, okay, well, prove it. The second thing that, that they're asking him to prove is that he was sent by God. And we remember from our study last week that that title, Son of Man, is a very important title. It takes us back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Right? Like, prove it. Prove that God has sent you. And the third thing they're asking for proof is that God has set His seal on Him. And that seal in the Greek just means a stamp. God has authenticated Him. Not, not all this group there would have been at the baptism where, where God says, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But we know John chapter 5 verse 26 says, these very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So they're asking for proof. When you look at those three points, and, and I trust that you can see them, that he had come with God's promise, that he was sent from God, that God has set his seal on him, those are the foundations that our salvation is built on. Right? That God, God had sent him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent him. Right? He came with the promise. God had set his seal on. These are our foundations. But here, this group wants proof. This group wants proof. And really, when you pause and reflect on that, it's not, not that strange. Right? It's not that strange when we consider how many people in our own lives, our families, our communities, ask these same questions about our faith. Right? What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? How are you going to prove or authenticate what you're saying to us? There are people in our lives, people in our families, people in our communities asking the same questions of us. And if they're not asking, they're watching. They're watching you. Prove this. They're watching. How do you know Jesus came with God's promise? How do you know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? How do you know He was sent from God? How do you know God authenticated Him? My friend, I ask you a very serious question this morning. How do you answer those questions? As the world and your family and, and the people that, that are living, living around you, as they're asking these questions, how are you answering them? What scripture verses do you use? How 
do you show, and I have in my notes here, it's capitalized, how do you show them what you believe? Because I'm sorry to say, as good as your testimony is, as good a person as the community says you are, these questions, these questions can only be answered by biblical truths. You, they, they need to read these biblical truths. The world cries for a sign, perform, that we may say it and believe it. What work will you do? You are living in a world that is challenging everything to do with doctrine. You are living in a world that is challenging even the reality of a hell for those who reject the gospel of Christ. I hear comments like, oh, my God wouldn't, wouldn't send someone to hell. That they mustn't be real. You have, you have people making statements like not all of your Bible is true. Not all of your Bible is true. Some of it, some of it has error in it. Some of it is, is just history. Some of it is, well, if it's not true, then it must be fiction. Those are real statements. You have people going, prove it. What sign will you perform so that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? Who, as you think about that this morning, is behind the need to see proof? Who is behind the need to see proof? Why are these people requiring a sign when it's God who's speaking? Why do people require proof when God has already said it? Has that sentence, hath God indeed said? Does that sound familiar? Satan's hand is everywhere. And I don't want this to get missed there. Even as Jesus is teaching in this synagogue, this place of worship, this place of, uh, uh, of Scripture, this place of learning, this place of prayer, Satan is still going head to head. Head to head. Hath God indeed said, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Those words. And that is why the preaching of the Word... The teaching of the Word, personal study and meditation in the Word is crucial in every believer's life because this is the proof. As people are asking for the signs, this is the proof for, for the world, this is the proof for your family, this is the proof for your own faith. We hold it in our hands. In John chapter 6, Jesus is standing in the synagogue telling them who he is. And here we have a group of people that actually do the right thing. And I couldn't believe I actually wrote that in my notes. These, this group actually does the right thing, right? Jesus is telling them some things that, that, that they weren't sure of, that was a little bit new. And what do they do? They go to Scripture. Right? Jesus is telling them that I have come with God's promise, everlasting life. God the Father has sent me. Uh, God the Father has authenticated me. And they roll out their scrolls. Right, And in the synagogue you have a centerpiece where the scriptures are read and then somebody makes a commentary on them. And as Jesus is teaching this, the, the men are rolling out their scrolls. They turn in the scripture to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I invite you to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, they, I was going to say there, we'd be, be no better off 
than they are if we, we didn't turn there. But anyway, they read it, so we might as well too. These are, this group is doing the right thing. Jesus is presenting teaching and they're, they're turning in Scripture. They have rolled out the, the, the scroll to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what they were anticipating. Verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. My Bible capitalizes that because it's talking about the Messianic. It's looking ahead to Jesus who was to come. The Lord your God will raise you up for you a, a prophet like me from your midst, from the brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, and that's talking about that time where Israel was standing before Mount Sinai and they were trembling before the presence of the Lord. And they said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, Moses speaking, What they have spoken is good. And I will raise up for them a prophet, capital P, like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Pay close attention. Verse 20. This is where this group's response comes from. But the prophet, lower P, who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of the other gods, that prophet shall die. And in verse 21, And if you say in your heart, which I'm sure these men in the synagogue were, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a... Pause. Answer to that. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. They've rolled out their scrolls. They're reading through these verses. And they're saying, well, God says that if you're a prophet and we have questions in our heart, then you need to prove it. So say or do something and we'll see if it happens kind of a a funny picture there but i mean they're doing what they're supposed to these men standing with open scriptures okay and this is just i i want us to to get real quiet here these men have rolled out their scrolls they're they're reading the words of god talking about the jesus the the prophet the messiah that that's to come they're, they're, they're opening the Scriptures. These men, this group, needed to understand that they had to believe that they held the proof in their hands. Let me say that a little bit more clear. <laughs> As the scroll was out and they were reading God's Word, they held the proof that Jesus was who He said He was in their hands. Even as they were facing Jesus, the Son of God, they still held the greatest proof in their hand, God's words. They held the Word of God. The entire Scriptures, the 39 books of the Old Testament, all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah, King. Think of New Testament even as Jesus taught of Himself. He expounded the Scriptures of Himself. Don't miss this this morning. They asked for proof. What sign will you do 
What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe it? What work will you do? They asked for proof and they were holding the greatest proof in their hand, the very Word of God. Transfer that over to today. You have, have people around you. You have family members. You have a community that's asking for proof. Folks, you hold the greatest proof in your hand that Jesus is the Son of God and it's God's holy Word. This is the greatest proof that Jesus has come, that Jesus has died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus is coming again. You hold the greatest proof in your hands. All these men had to do was read it. That's all they had to do. They were holding the greatest proof. All they had to do was read it. So let's just look Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, very quickly. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P, like me from your midst, from the brethren. Him you shall hear. I mean, this, this group from John chapter 6 had already made the connection as Jesus is speaking and they're seeing Him do works. John chapter 6, verse 14 says, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Right? That's John 6, 14, after the feeding of the 5,000. They recognized hearing Jesus speak and they recognized the Scriptures. They had made that connection. Though these were real people. And I think we could all admit that we can hear God say a lot of things. But that doesn't mean we're listening. That doesn't mean we're listening. These men had made that connection. Jesus was speaking and, and Scripture. The second thing that this group in John chapter 6 had to realize, and we find this in verse 16 they had to realize that they were separated from God. Right? Because the words of Jesus don't mean anything to all of a sudden we discover that, that we, we are not in a, in a right relationship with God. These men needed to realize that they were separated and they needed a go-between. They needed someone to go between God the Father and, and, and themselves. And verse 16 says, Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day assembly, saying, the people of Mount Sinai were afraid to go before God. We'll see this in a second. Right? But they desired someone to go between them and God. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more lest I die. Israel desired a go-between. We better go back to Exodus chapter 20. I invite you to turn there. Exodus chapter 20. And as much, and this again was part of my battle, as much as I wanted to read through Exodus 19 and see, see the promise and see God's terms and see the people's empty answer of, of all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We don't have time. But we see the thunderings and lightnings, God, God showing them, bringing them to godly fear. And it's in Deuteronomy, or pardon me, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, that I want to draw our attention. Israel desired a go-between. Verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. These people understood what godly fear is. And that's something that's not recognized today. We don't approach God with awe. We don't approach God with reverence. We don't approach God with, with, with a humility that's needed to come before Him. They trembled and stood afar off. Verse 19, Then they said to Moses, You, 
You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Israel was recognizing they needed a go-between. They needed an intercessor. And Moses said to the people, And do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Very interesting definition of fear here. I encourage you to study that. But we won't get on a rabbit trail. So Israel desired a go-between, and we come back to Deuteronomy chapter 16, pardon me, 18. I'll get it right. Verse 16, we see the same, same thing here. <clears throat> Israel desired a go-between. The promised prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18 was not just a messenger. Okay, and I want to get that. He, he was not just a messenger. As Moses is writing, talking about the coming Messiah, coming Jesus, he was not just a messenger. He was an intercessor. He was a mediator. He was an advocate between God and man. Right? And, and we want to make that connection that, that the men in John chapter 6 needed to understand. They needed to realize that they were separated from God and they needed a go-between. Right? And this morning when we come back to, to, to the, the biblical truths, the, the bottom lines of this is you cannot come before God in His holiness on your own. You can't come before God in His purity. You can't come before God in His justice on your own. You need an intercessor. And that's something that, that is very crucial to our understanding of salvation. Something very crucial to us understanding that we are separated from God and we do need the Lord Jesus Christ to, to step in between, to, to gap or stand in that gap. Secondly, you cannot come as you are into God's presence. Right? Directly in you, you can't. Right? And it says that. We see that in the tabernacle. We see that in the holy holies. We see that in the, in the temple. Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come uh, on your own before God. You cannot come as you are into God's presence. And somewhere in Judaism, they lost that need for intercession. Lost that need for a mediator. Lost that need for an advocate might have something to do with the, the temple practices becoming um, perverted. Somehow we've lessened that in the teaching of our churches. Right? And, and somehow we've lessened that. You need an intercessor. You need a mediator. You need an advocate. And, and that person, capital P, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These men needed to understand that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'll just read it. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our churches, our, 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 our believers, our community, need to understand that we need intercession. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 says, And for this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We need an intercessor. We need a mediator. Who is Jesus the Son of God? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things are, I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
these men needed, John chapter 6, this group needed to understand that they needed a go-between. They needed an intercessor. They needed a mediator. They needed an advocate. And we this morning need to understand that ourselves. Do we see how important that is to realize this morning? The world, John chapter 6, this group, thinks that they can go directly before God just the way they are. The world, this group, thinks that, that, that they, can, they can come before God, step into God's holy, pure presence, doing the exact same things they've always done. Even in the desperation that this world is in, the folks cry, the world's cry needs to be for Jesus. The world's cry needs to be for intercession. It needs to be for salvation, for their, their cries to be heard. And it must be said, it must be said that even in our churches, in our Christian homes, in our Christian community, immature believers who don't understand how their relationship with God works think they have full access with God while still doing the same things, while not obeying God with sin in their lives. They don't understand that their fellowship with Christ is broken. This group, John chapter 6, and us today, had to understand that there is only one way into God's presence, and that was through His Son. Last point, third point here, these men, these men had to, had to stop looking for, for proof like the world and start listening with their hearts. What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe it? What work will you do? Stop looking for proof like the world and start listening with your heart. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, and this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet, capital P, like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. These men were reading these texts. They had to understand that, that, that Jesus was speaking God's words. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command you. All of God's words, all of God's commands. Folks, they had what they needed. This John chapter 6 group had what they needed. They just needed to believe. They needed to trust. They needed to have faith. And we just rewind that to a question I asked earlier. They had the Scriptures. They had the proof. What was it going to take for them to see their need for Jesus? What was it going to take? Was it going to take tribulation? Something to, to devastate their lives to the point where all of a sudden they see that, the, that God the Father is there and I'm standing at the base of this mountain and I need a go-between. Was it going to take fear? Right? Godly fear, bringing something going on in their life that bringing them that place of, of trembling and, and standing afar off before all of a sudden they see there, Jesus Christ died for me. He is my intercessor. He is my mediator. He is my advocate. I need Jesus. Would they leave it till they had no other options left? As they asked those two questions in John chapter 6, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe it? What work will you do? They were asking Jesus to prove, prove that He had come with God's promise, everlasting life, foundation of our faith. They were asking Him to prove 
that God the Father had sent Him, Son of Man. They were asking Jesus to prove that God had set His seal, stamped, authenticated Him. They were looking for Jesus to prove what the Word of God already had. They were looking for Jesus to prove what the Word of God already had. All these men had to do was read it. All they had to do was read it. Quick challenge as we close. As the world around you is or will be looking for proof, right? proof of your faith, Right? And if they aren't already asking you uh, uh, where your hope comes from, asking you what, what it is that leads you through this time, they will be. Right? As the world around you is or will be looking for you to prove your faith, prove Jesus is the Son of God, prove that you truly believe in, in what this church stands on. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He he came and died on the cross, that He was buried, that He rose again, that that when we ask for forgiveness and we, we confess Him as Lord and Master of our life and we place our faith in Him, we have a relationship, they're going to ask you to prove that you truly believe. What are they really asking for? They're asking to see if you know what this truly says. Because you hold the proof in your hands. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just think of these moments that we've had, Lord, and we've covered a lot of um, different texts, Lord, going back to even the, the beginning of, of you calling a nation back to yourself, Lord. And the first things that you did was give them your word, Lord, and it was to guide them first thing you did was was test them to put your fear before them so that they would not sin lord and we we thank you for that but lord i think of what's going on in our lives lord i think of the john chapter 6 crowd lord and they just they had what they needed they had the proof all they had to do was read it and i think of all the unrest and uncertainty and the fears that are going on and just even the the blessings that go with us about us having more time with family Lord, sitting around the table more. Lord, going and spending more time outside together. Lord, I pray that You would guide our conversations around Your truth. I pray that You would challenge us as believers not just to give opinion to responses or nice ideas or or inspirational thoughts. That we would take people to Scripture. We would show them that You have given us what we need for our faith. Lord, I pray that when people ask for signs, Lord, so that we could see it and believe it, when they they look for us to, to do a work to prove our Christian faith, Lord, I pray that we point them to Your Word and we use it. And I pray that if we don't, we're not equipped in that, I pray that we would ask for help. Lord, well, there's lots of resources. Lord, I pray that You would just use use us in a powerful way. And we do thank You so much for Your hand over all of this. We pray that your spirit would just move in our midst. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen.